Okay, I'm back, and here we go. I'm ready. It's going to be great, 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 great. I can't wait to share this with you. Um, it changed my life when God gave it to me. I believe it's going to change your life as well today. And so for your notes, I want to talk to you about the four prideful kings of Babylon. Doesn't just the title just sound so not exciting at all? It will be, okay? Four prideful kings of Babylon were studying the book of Daniel. Uh, mainly studying chapters 1 through 6, but we're going to talk about 7 through 12 as well. Okay, so today, here's what's going to happen. First of all, it's a longer sermon because I'm going to teach you and because you're sitting at home in your pajamas watching it. So your attention span should be a little bit more than normal. And what you're going to get out of today is this, is that even when you are at your worst, I mean, when you are full of pride and worshiping money and just turning your back on God, you're going to realize that when God corrects you and he has to correct us for our own good, and I'll show you that. When he corrects us, during that time, he still provides for us, protects us, pursues us, and has an amazing purpose for our life, even during the times of correction. Because, you know, it feels like when a parent or someone has to correct us, we feel like, oh, I can't believe I made the mistake. I'm ashamed of that. No, no, no. God does not do it like that. When God corrects us, he has a smile on his face because he knows that we'll always end up at a better place after we've received the correction. So before we get into the thick of things today and before my four points, because there's four kings we're going to talk about in Babylon. Uh, before I get into that, I want to tell you this. The book of Daniel is 12 chapters long. Chapters one through six are historical chapters. That's what we're going to be looking at today. Chapters seven through 12 are prophecies about the Messiah and Jesus coming, which was written, this was written 500 years before that, and prophecies about end times, about your and my future. So just to kind of give you a, a, an idea of what a specific uh, prophet D, uh, Daniel was, in Daniel chapter 11, here's what he prophesies. Now, let me just tell you this. If you're a skeptic on the Bible and Christianity, just this one chapter alone shows how amazing God is. Okay, just one chapter. Daniel chapter 11 basically says this. This is what it says. He prophesies that the Persian Empire would be conquered by another empire. And he gives the specific dates. And that that empire would be the greatest in the world. Then it would be cut off suddenly and turn into four empires. Of the four, two would conquer the other two and there'd be two left. Of the two, one empire would conquer it. And during that one empire, the Messiah, Jesus, would come, live, die, and, ra and get rose from the dead. Now, here's what he said, okay? He told us, Daniel chapter 11 tells us, the Persian Empire was conquered by Alexander the Great. Alexander the Great died suddenly at the age of 32. And because it was a sudden death, he didn't have an heir to his throne. So his four generals took over when Alexander the Great died. Of those four generals, Ptolemy and Seleucus took over the other two empires and they became two. Of Ptolemy and Seleucus' empire, the Roman Empire then comes along, destroys them. And during the Roman Empire, Jesus the Messiah comes. Daniel prophesied that up to the very date that Jesus would start his ministry, and he wrote that 500 years before it happened. 
Now, what is so special about this for you and me? Here's what that tells me is this. God knows what's going to happen in my life tomorrow. He has such specificity of what's going to take place in my future. He knows what's going to happen 500 years from today. So though I may not know what's going to happen, I can put my trust and my hope in the one who does know, knowing he has a great plan for my life. If I trust him, it'll all come out the way it's supposed to be because he knows the future. That's amazing. Now, I want to show you one more thing about Daniel before we get into the four points today. Daniel chapter 12, if you want to know what's been prophesied over your future, watch this. Daniel 12, 1 through 2. At that time, Michael the angel shall stand up, the great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people. There shall be a time of trouble. Now, this trouble is worse than COVID-19. Okay, this is the tribulation. But here's the good news for you and me. At that time, your people shall be delivered. Everyone who is found written in the book, in the Lamb's book of life, will receive everlasting life. That's the future for you and me, and it's written in the book of Daniel. So 7 through 12 is prophetic stuff about Jesus and about our future. 1 through 6 is what we're going to look at today. Now, here's how it goes. Daniel begins, the book of Daniel, is when the children of Israel, when God took them out of their land into exile to be captured... And to be overseen by the Babylonians, an evil empire. And God does this. God takes his children out of their own land for 70 years and he puts them under Babylon. And there are four kings that reign during those 70 years that we're going to talk about. Those four kings were not good kings. They were full of pride, but God tried to reach their hearts. And all during this time, all during these 70 years... God already planned a very humble, God-fearing, intelligent, and the Bible says a good-looking man to assist those four kings to make sure God's people were always provided for, protected, pursued, and had a purpose. What was that man's name that helped those kings? He was humble. He was intelligent. He was God-fearing. He was handsome. No, his name was not John Paul. His name was Daniel, and that's where we get Daniel 1 through 6 from. Now, why would God do this to his children? Why would he take them from their land for 70 years and put them in captivity under the Babylonians and evil, evil people? Here's why he did it. He was correcting them. Now, you know the, what it says about the Sabbath day, work six days and take one day and rest. Well, God actually had a land Sabbath for years. In other words, God told his people, work the land every six years. But on the seventh year, let the land rest. I'll still provide for you. I'll still take the land isn't your Source, I'm your source. I'll provide. Just do what I say. Your boss isn't your source. Your job's not your source. I'm your source. So I'm telling you, you can work the land for six years. On the seventh year, let it rest. Now, the Israelites disobeyed for 490 years. Let me ask you a question. If you disobeyed God for 490 years, would you begin to think you're getting away with it? Would you start to think, I guess God forgot about that command of letting the land rest every seventh year. You know, he didn't forget about it. So one day God takes his people out of exile to correct them. Now listen, how many years did God take them into Babylon 
Because they disobeyed for 490 years. The land was supposed to rest every seventh year. If you do the math, 490 divided by 7 is 70. So he took them out of their land to let the land rest for those 70 years that he commanded. Now listen, when God tells us to do something, it's not just for our own good. It's for the good of our children, our grandchildren, those around us. If God had not taken them out of Israel, if he had not taken them out of Israel, the land today in Israel would be barren. And not only that, but at some point it would have stopped producing and their children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren would have been slaves for the rest of their life because they wouldn't have had a land. So God did this to correct them. Listen real close. God was correcting his children, not punishing them. It's a big difference. God does not punish you because he already punished Jesus. So if somebody tells you or makes you think or the enemy lies to you and says, yep, God's punishing you for what you did. No, he doesn't. God corrects us to help us. He punished Jesus. Jesus took our hurt and our pain. God is a loving father who corrects his children. And sometimes the correction may hurt because we choose to let it hurt us. But it's not. It's actually supposed to help us. We have to trust that God knows what he's doing and we'll see it as him helping us rather than hurting us. But he had to correct his kids. Now, why he corrected them? Brought them into Babylon. And there's four evil, prideful kings over them. God already placed Daniel in the life of each king to make sure that his people were provided for, protected. He pursued them and they still had a purpose. It's very important you understand that. Anytime God corrects us, Satan always attacks us. But it's okay because Daniel was there to help these kings. So here's what we're going to look at. The four prideful kings of Babylon that were over Israel during those 70 years of exile. Okay, And it's very important. You need to listen to every point because the last point is going to rock your world, change your life forever. Okay, here we go. Number one, pride wants attention for self. We're going to first study the king Nebuchadnezzar. He was the first one to reign over Babylon while Israel was there during those 70 years. Pride wants attention for self. It's all about self, 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 self. Daniel 1 verse 2, it opens up and it says, The Lord delivered King Jehoiakim, hard word, of Judah or Israel into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar. So God takes the people of Israel. He puts them in the hand of Nebuchadnezzar. Listen real close. Pride is when you fail to give God glory for everything that's in your hand. Everything in your hand came from God. The fact that you have a hand came from God. I realize you may have ability. You may have a hard work ethic. You may be uh, intelligent. You may have studied hard. But listen real close. God chose your genetics. God chose your parents. God chose your uh, IQ, your bloodline. God chose your personality. Everything we have in our hand came from God. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, 10, I worked harder than any of them. Though it wasn't me that worked hard, it was actually the grace of God inside of me. Paul said, my hard work was hard work because of the grace of God. That didn't even come from me. So God's trying to reach Nebuchadnezzar, this prideful king that he thinks everything he has is for himself. And so God gives him a dream nobody can interpret. And in Daniel 2.26, the king said to Daniel, are you able to interpret my dream? Daniel said this, there's no wise man, no astrologer, no magician, no soothsayer that can explain your dream. In other words, he's saying that all your little fortunes, your, um, your, your crystal balls, your, uh, your, your birth month, whatever you call it, uh, your horoscope, all that, your, your zodiac sign, none of those things know you. And just as a side note, all through the Bible, it says it offends God greatly when we give in to those things. 
Because those things don't know you. Those things don't know anything about your birth, your death, your destiny. It all belongs to God. And Daniel said, hey, you're looking in the wrong areas if you want to know your future. Here's what you need to look to. Daniel says this. There is a God in heaven who can reveal it. <laughs> I love that. God can do it. In Daniel 3 verse 1. So now, so far, God used Daniel to try to reach Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel 3 1. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold 90 feet tall. Verse 6. Whoever does not worship the golden image will be cast into the fiery furnace. Listen real close. Pride always wants to be the final authority in everyone else's life. Pride wants to control everybody. Pride wants everybody to do what pride says to do, what I say to do. Pride's all about self. Pride wants to fight and argue until everyone agrees with them. Pride can't have any type of healthy disagreement. It has to be, I'm going to keep talking until you believe what I say. And so let me show you some other scriptures of people in the Bible that almost got a little bit of praise and glory that belonged to God. Revelation 22, 8 and 9. I, John, and he's up in heaven, fell prostrate before the angel to worship him. But the angel said, dude, you better not do that. I'm only a servant along with you. You better worship God. I love the fact, I bet this angel was thinking this, man, I saw Lucifer when he was up here. He almost took a little bit of praise. Do not bow down to me. It is not, you better worship God, not me. No soothsayers, no crystal balls, no boss, no president. You better worship the one true God. Uh, New Testament, Paul and Barnabas prayed for a crippled man who was healed. Acts 14, 12, they called Barnabas and Paul gods, little g. Verse 14, Paul and Barnabas shouted, what are you doing this? We're only human beings. You better turn to the living God who made the heaven and the earth. Now listen real close. Nebuchadnezzar, full of pride. He's killing people, torturing people. You know, he throws Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fire. God sends Daniel to try to bring him in, rule him in, you know, get him in. God sends Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And um, if, if they're, you know, you're, they're, the Sakasti translation is, my shack, your shack, and a bungalow. God even sends Jesus to try to humble this king. Watch in Daniel 3.25. He said, I see four men walking in the fire, and the fourth looks like the Son of God. Do you know that God is the God of the millionth chance? I mean, I don't care how far you get gone. He'll send person after person. He'll send, he'll send coach. He'll send teacher, parent, friend, child. He'll send Jesus straight to your door to reach you. To try to get your heart to turn to him. But pride is all about me, 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 me. It's all about self. Daniel 4, 29 through 32. Now, I want you to see this. First of all, I want you to see this. God, if we will not humble ourselves. He'll step in and humble us for our own good. He didn't take the Israelites out of their own land to hurt them. He did it to correct them for their future. And watch what he did with Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel 4.29, Nebuchadnezzar was walking on the royal palace of Babylon. He said, this is the great Babylon that I have built for a royal dwelling by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty. While the words were on his lip, he didn't even finish the sentence. A voice fell from heaven in the voice of James Earl Jones, I imagine. King Nebuchadnezzar, your authority has departed from you. You will be driven away from people and will live with wild animals. You'll eat grass like oxen. Seven years will pass until you know that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms. 
and gives it to whoever he chooses. That hour the word was fulfilled. Now you want to read something cool in the Bible? Read Daniel chapter 4. God turns Nebuchadnezzar into an animal. And he's so prideful. It takes seven years for him to finally realize God is God. In, uh, in verse 34, it says, At the end of the seven years, I, Nebuchadnezzar, looked to the heaven. My sanity was restored. I praised the Most High. I glorified Him who lives forever. And in verse 37, he just wanted to throw this in there. He ends it with this. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. Listen, if you want to know how prideful somebody is, just listen to them talk. They always talk about everything is about themselves. Everything. They talk about what they've accomplished. You can go on their social media. It's all about my problems, what I've done, what's, what's not going right in my life, what I need, what I want changed, what I've accomplished, what I've I mean, on, it's all about them, 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 them. And they're so full of pride. In fact, one time, uh, this person came to me and they said, you know, basically said, John Paul, be honest with me. Why don't you want to hang out with me? Why don't you like me? And, I, and it was a, a lady. And I said, listen, um, you're so full of pride. All you do is talk about yourself. It's so annoying. Every conversation is about, you. you know what she said? She said, well, that hurts my feelings. I said, see, there you are again. You're doing it again. It's not about your feelings. Talk about somebody else. Uh, uh, affirm somebody else. Talk about God. Praise God. So sad. So sad. Okay, so number two. So now let me just say this. God had to humble Nebuchadnezzar, but he finally had a change of heart. So that prideful man became humble. Number two is this. Here's the second king. Pride wants a kingdom for self. And we're going to talk about Belshazzar. Now pride wants Pride wants a kingdom for self. Pride wants money for self. Pride wants to, to, to build um, uh, uh, the, all the dreams that I want. That's pride. It's never I want a game to help somebody else. It's all about me, 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 my kingdom. So Daniel 5, 1 through 9 says this. Uh, Belshazzar, the king, made a great feast for a thousand of his leaders. He commanded them to bring the gold and silver vessels that, were, that belonged to God. They were in the temple in Jerusalem. Basically, he took the tithe. This finances, this is for God. God has already blessed you. Here's what he's asking for in return. And they took that for their own entertainment, for their own desires, for their own kingdom. And God's about to freak some people out. Watch this. They drank wines. They're getting drunk. They began to praise the gods of gold and silver, bronze and iron, wood and stone. In other words, they love their money more than they love God. In the same hour they're doing this, a finger appeared. Now, some translations say a hand, some say a finger. I have two imagination. My first imagination thinks that it was Thing from the Adams family. Remember Thing? Um, if, it, if it was just a finger, I'd like to think it was God's middle finger just to really get their attention. I don't know. You guess it's as good as mine. But here's what happened. In the same hour, a finger appeared and began to write on the wall in the king's palace. The king's countenance changed. You think so? His knees knocked against each other. As a side note, you can do all the history study you want to do. This is the first place in all of world history that it's recorded that someone was so afraid their knees knocked together. You know, of course, now they use it in cartoons and things like that. But here's for the first time you ever read something like that. The king cried to bring in, here we go again, the astrologers, the Chaldeans, the soothsayers, wanted to bring in the, you know, what does my fortune say? 
What does what Facebook say I'm going to become in the future? What does this person think I'm going to do? Instead of going to God and said this, whoever reads this writing and tells me the interpretation shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. He's going to promote somebody. The reason he said third ruler, he was actually the second. Um, Belshazzar was actually a prince. His dad was the king who was in charge, but his dad left during this time that, they were in, that the Israelites were in exile in, in Babylon. So uh, he was actually second in command, even though we're calling him a king right now. So he's saying third in command, if you can interpret this. And watch this. The wise men could not interpret the writing. But the queen said, and I, for some reason it's the voice of Freddie Mercury. I don't know, but anyway. The queen said, there is a man in your kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy God. And he can give the interpretation. Who do you think that man was? It was Daniel. So Belshazzar takes the tithe, he takes the money that belongs to God, uses it for his own entertainment, his own glorification for his kingdom. I'll tell you, the most prideful people I've ever met are non-tithers. I have never in my life, and I'm sure there's some out there, I've never met a faithful tither who is not a humble person. Every person I've met that's been prideful, that leaves because they can't submit or they don't like this or they, they want this change or they that people that can't serve other people and they make it all about themselves they also make finances about themselves and they keep everything for them non-tithers are always so prideful so daniel shows up to interpret now watch this in daniel 5 23 king you have set yourself up against the lord in heaven it's the second king god's trying to reach you had gold from his temple brought to you you praised the gods of silver and gold, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. These gods can't see you. They can't hear you. They don't know you. But the God who holds your life in his hand has sent that hand to write these words. Many, many tekel parson. Here's what's so cool, okay? The Hebrew language, which is what the hand was writing, has no consonants in it. I mean, I'm sorry, has no vowels. It's only consonants at this time. They later put vowels in it many, many years later. For now, it's no consonants. And it writes from right to left instead of left to right. So the king's getting drunk with his thousand leaders. A hand shows up, which is already freaky. Now it's writing in a different language and it's writing backwards. I mean, that just knocked them out. And yet Daniel knows exactly what it means. Keep in mind, their hearts got into the place where they're so prideful, they're taking God's money. So God uses financial mathematical words to prophesy to them. It says in verse 26, many, many means God has numbered your days and brought them to an end. Verse 27, Tekel, you have been weighed and found wanting. In other words, you're in need, buddy. Verse 28, Parson, your kingdom's been divided and given to the Persians. Verse 30, that very night, Belshazzar was slain and Darius took over the kingdom. Humble people know that God gets all the glory. All I have belongs to him and he's only wanting 10% in return. He's in charge and it's not about my kingdom. It's about his kingdom. King number three. Pride wants to control people. We're going to look at Darius. King Darius. Daniel 6, 1 through 6, Darius decided to divide the kingdom into 120 provinces, and he chose Daniel, of course, duh, to supervise. Because of Daniel's great ability, the king made plans to put him over the entire empire. 
Then the other administrators began searching for some fault in Daniel. They couldn't find anything to criticize. Now think about having this on the end of the year report that your boss gives you about you. Okay, here's what they said. Daniel was faithful, always responsible, and completely trustworthy. Wow, no wonder God kept promoting him. Okay, watch. So they concluded the only way to accuse Daniel was with his religion. So they went to the king Darius and said, listen, we're all in agreement. The king should make a law. Any person who prays to anybody except for your majesty will be thrown into the lion's den. Okay, listen real close. Every person I know that has ever struggled with pride, including myself, has had roots of insecurity on the inside. That insecurity causes them to want to control people. They want to control what people think about them. They want to control how people see them. They want to control conversations. They want people to know how smart they are. They can't just sit there and listen. They have to always say something to add their voice in. It's a root of insecurity, but it comes out in pride. And Darius was just that way. In Daniel 6, 16, he gave the orders for Daniel to be thrown in the lion's den because Daniel wouldn't bow down. Daniel wouldn't do what he said. The king spent all night fasting. He refused his usual entertainment. He could not sleep all night. Decisions made in pride rather than principle always bring regret. Darius almost lost his greatest asset because he wanted to control him. He almost lost his best friend because he wanted to control him. Think about the people God's put in your life. Sometimes we got to just let people think what they want to think, be what they want to be, and just go about life knowing that God will take care of them just like God takes care of us. You can't control everybody. You can't do it. In Daniel 6.23, the king was overjoyed the next day because there wasn't even a scratch found on Daniel. For Daniel trusted in his God. Darius went from a prideful king to a humble king because he recognized God's power. But he almost lost his best friend in the process. It took an entire night of no sleep for him to finally realize, wow, this God is the God of the universe. And he humbled himself. King number four. Oh, it's going to be so good. Man, so I'm just going to give you a chance to take a deep breath because it's about to get so good in here. Your soul's going to cry out for Jesus when we're done. Okay, here we go. Get ready. Pride can be stopped. It can be stopped. We're going to talk about Cyrus and what they called Cyrus the Great. A prideful person can't be humble. So God humbled Nebuchadnezzar, but he had to turn him into an animal for seven years to finally win his heart. God humbled Darius, but it took him almost losing his best friend, a regret that he was going to get someone killed and lose all this. But God humbled him. He stepped in and humbled him. God tried to humble Belshazzar. It got so bad, he thought that all his money was his, and he ended up dying. So there is a chance you can go from pride to humble, and there's a chance that you can destroy yourself. But I want you to listen real close. Why would God go to all this effort to try to humble these men? Why did God go to all that effort to take all his people out of Israel and put them in the hands of the Babylonians? Why would he go to all this effort to correct somebody? I mean, all this just to correct someone's heart. Here's why. Proverbs 16, 18 Pride comes before destruction. Listen real close. There's a few options. Either you can humble yourself, or God can step in and humble you, or you can humiliate yourself and God just stand back, or you can destroy yourself. The choice is yours. 
You can humble yourself. You can let God step in and have to correct you and humble you. You can tell God to step away and you can humiliate yourself. Or you can get so bad where you destroy your life and people around you. This is how much God loves us. Watch this. Jeremiah 24, 5. God says, I actually sent the exiles to the land of the Babylonians for their own good. What's going to be the result in this? Watch this. For they will return to me with all their heart. Not just a little bit, not just 90%, but the whole 100% of their heart is going to be mine. After I step in and correct them and humble them. God didn't do it to punish them. He did it to give them a great future. In fact, do you know a scripture in the Bible that basically says everything that God has for you is for your good? Even correction. Everything he has for you is for your good. We say it every Sunday morning here at Solid Rock. Jeremiah 29, 11. Watch this. For the plans I have for you are for good. To give you future and a hope. But do you know... What scripture comes before that scripture? Do you know the preposition that brings us into verse 11? Watch this. Verse 10. Thus says the Lord. After 70 years are completed in Babylon. I will keep my promise. And bring you back home. For the plans I have for you. Are for good to give you future and hope. Even when God has to correct us. For 70 years, it's for our own good and for a good future. I love this. Okay, so Cyrus. Here we are, Cyrus. Ready? Fourth king. This is going to change your life. Cyrus. 2 Chronicles 36, 22. In the first year of Cyrus, the Lord stirred up his... Wait, 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 wait. The first year? Not the seventh year, the 15th year, the 20th year. The first year? You're telling me this king of Babylon... The first year he's king, it says the Lord stirred up his heart so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom saying, thus says Cyrus, the Lord has commanded me to build him a house in Jerusalem. Whoa, 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 whoa. What happened to this guy who's the king of Babylon that says he heard from God to build a temple for the People that he's got in captivity for the Israelites in their homeland. How in the world did God weave that into being, into fruition? How did this king, who's in charge of the Israelites, how did he hear from God and decide to obey him to build a temple in Jerusalem for the Jews that he's got underneath him? How did this take place? Okay, What was the turning point? What changed his heart? Daniel, of course, Daniel comes in for all four. Daniel shows up and he reads Cyrus a prophecy written in Isaiah 150 years before. And there's two things I want to show you. Isaiah 45, we're going to start one through four. The Lord said to his anointed Cyrus, whose right hand I have held, I have called you by your name. In fact, it says, I named you Cyrus, even when you didn't even know me. Isaiah 44, 28, I say of Cyrus, he's my shepherd. He shall do as I say. 
Jerusalem will be rebuilt and the temple restored for I have spoken. Okay, these prophecies written 150 years before, I want you to look at some phrases. I'm going to keep here on the screen. Keep these phrases. Watch this. God said, I named you Cyrus. You're my shepherd. And you're going to rebuild Jerusalem's temple. That's pretty amazing things to say to somebody 150 years before. Okay, watch this. Cyrus's grandfather was king whenever he was born. Cyrus's father, which is the grandfather's son, was Cambyses the first. Now, if you were going to put some money and you're going to do, you're going to gamble on what Cambyses the first's son's name would be. If you were going to research history, science, math, and you think, you know what, forget God, I bet you a million dollars that Cyrus the first will name his son Cyrus the second. You that that'd be a pretty good gamble, right? But God said, no, I mean, uh, Cambyses the first would be Cambyses the second. But God said, no, I'm going to name him Cyrus. His name is going to be Cyrus. Even though his father's Cambyses the first and his grandfather's king at the time. So Cyrus is born. Cyrus's grandfather had a dream that his grandbaby was going to grow up and overthrow the kingdom, overthrow his rule. And so when baby Cyrus was born, the grandfather asks his servants to kill the little baby. So his servant goes and gets the grandbaby, takes him out to the woods to kill him, and just before he goes through with it, he looks over and he sees a shepherd and his wife mourning because they are burying their stillborn new baby child. And the servant looks down at the live baby that he's got, the grandson of the king. He goes over to him and says, would y'all want to raise this child as your own? They were overjoyed. Of course we would. Please, thank you so much. They take the baby. The servant then takes the dead, stillborn baby, carries him back to the palace and says, King, I did what you said. I killed your grandson, and here's proof. The shepherd and his wife named their baby Cyrus. And for the next 10 years of the child's life, they train him to be a shepherd. And 150 years before that, God said, I'm going to name him Cyrus. He's going to be my shepherd. Every year on the child's birthday, for the next 10 years, first 10 years of his life, every year on his birthday, the grandfather who's king mourns so uncontrollably, goes into such deep depression over what he had done to his grandson, that finally one day the servant can't take it anymore. He says, King, I got to tell you something. I don't know if it's good news. I don't know if it's bad news, but I can't see you like this every year. I need to tell you, I disobeyed your orders. Your grandson's not dead. He's actually alive. His name's Cyrus. He's a shepherd. He's 10 years old. The grandfather says, bring him to the palace. Cyrus doesn't even know who he is. He has no idea he's actually Cambyses II, grandson of the king. He moves into the palace, and just as the king's dream said, Cyrus, the grandson, ends up overthrowing his grandfather 
and ruling the entire world. And he reads one day in the book of Isaiah, written 150 years earlier, where God said, I named you Cyrus. You would be my shepherd, and I know you personally, so I'm calling you to rebuild my temple in Jerusalem. And that is why Cyrus, with such great conviction and humility, said, I'll do whatever it takes to make the temple for this God whom I serve. Listen, God knows you. He has a purpose. Even in the midst of correction, he has everything worked out. Ezra chapter 3, if you want to read it, it shows that God provided everything Cyrus needed to rebuild Jerusalem temple for the Israelites who are being corrected under the Babylonian Empire. The whole thing's working out for everybody. <laughs> Second Chronicles 7.14, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves. This scripture tells me humbling yourself is more important than prayer. Because if you pray from a prideful heart, you're praying the wrong thing. If they'll humble themselves and pray, seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, then I'll hear from heaven. I'll forgive their sin and heal their land. Listen real close. God's goal is for you to humble yourself so that you don't humiliate yourself and so you don't destroy yourself. And if it gets to that, he'll step in and he'll have to humble you. But his goal is for you to, you can family prove it to you. James 4.10, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he'll lift you up. Humble yourself. <laughs> don't wait for God to step in. Don't wait till you humiliate yourself and please don't destroy yourself. Humble yourself. Man, isn't that amazing with Cyrus? I mean, that just blows my mind. Here he becomes king, doesn't know what to do. And then he reads 150 years before God said, man, the reason you're Cyrus, the reason you're my, is because of me, man. It's because of me. I had you in the, the palm of my hand before you even knew me. I knew you. I knew you. So here's the question we end with today. How do I humble myself? I don't want to be humiliated, which it's happened. I don't want to destroy areas of my life, which has happened. I definitely don't want to destroy my whole life. I don't want God to have to step in, but if he does, hey, you know what? I'd rather him do that than me destroy myself. So God, step in. But I'd like to humble myself every day. So how do we do it? Well, let's look at the most humble man who ever lived. Okay? Philippians 2, 5 through 8. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality. Remember that word. With God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. Okay, listen. You say humble yourself. And every day we have to make this decision. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's not about what I can get, what I can accomplish. It's about this. God, what is best for you and your people? In our families, I'm the husband, I'm the man, doesn't matter. I'm supposed to be the greatest servant in the family. In my friendships, I'm supposed to be the greatest servant in my friendship. What can I do for you? Not what can you do for me. How can I affirm you? Not how can I tell you how great I am. And you see that word equality in the scripture? We talk about racial equality. 
Uh, we, we talk about um, um, gender equality. Okay, all this equality. And we say, well, you, I, wait, I need to be equal to you and you equal to me. Listen real close. That's not biblical. Racial equality, gender equality. I understand the concept and I, I'm agreeing with the concept. I, I understand that. But here's actually what we're supposed to do. We're actually supposed to put everybody else above us. In fact, look just a few verses. My last scripture. Look at just two verses before that. Philippians 2, 3. In humility, value others above yourself. If those four kings had started off doing that, God wouldn't have had to turn one into an animal. He wouldn't have had to have one almost lose his best friend. He wouldn't have had to do all these things. But we have to realize it's not about our kingdom. It's not about me. It's not about my dreams. It's all about God and the people he's put in my life. I don't stand here as the leader of this church. I stand here as somebody who strives to be the biggest servant of the church to do what's best for you. And I can tell you this, if God has to come in and correct us, if he has to do even years of correcting, he still protects, provides, pursues, and he has a good purpose, even during times of correction. Amen. Amen. Lord, I just love you and I thank you, God. And I pray this word went to people through the internet, minister to them as it did to me. God, I hope we realize right now that you know every person. 500 years ago, you knew them. A thousand years ago, you already knew them. You were already, you're already seeking their heart. I encourage you today, humble yourself every day. Don't make it about you. Make it about God and the kingdom. Lord, we love you. We thank you so much for providing during this difficult time, for protecting. Even, Lord, if some of us are being corrected during this time that we're facing. Lord, bring the correction because even your correction is sweet. Even your correction is full of love. We thank you for being a good God in our life. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.